You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer and you're listening to Farmer's Kitchen brought to you by Spinneys. It's your culinary guide on your radio. We were speaking to some amazing experts on today's show. Up first, a water sommelier. Yes, someone who tastes and tests and recommends water, including pairing with your food. The first one qualified in the GCC in conversation with Alison Pona. We were also in conversation with Chef Guaga Berger. He is the youngest and only chef in the country to have been featured in the Top 100 Best Chef Awards for five years. He's back at Oceano at Atlantis and was talking us through the menu that he's put together inspired by his life and his travels. We were speaking to Zara Abdullah of Zara's Kitchen explaining a little bit about picky kids, feeding the family and her new range out in time for Ramadan. And have you ever been to Uzbekistan? If not, well, you could definitely taste it. It's right here in Dubai at Osh Tlemer. Chef Alejandro was talking about some of the distinctive dishes, ingredients and flavours and what you should order to get an idea of that country's fare. And it was food news with Courtney Brandt, including, with many people heading off on their holidays, what is the best snack to take on a plane? Don't forget, Farmer's Kitchen is live with you every single Friday on Dubai I 103.8. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Water is, well, water, isn't it? Nothing to get excited about? Or is it? Joined now by Alison Pona, who is hosting an upcoming event where you can learn more and even try water pairing. She is a water sommelier, the first qualified within the GCC countries and she's joining us live on the line. Alison, I have so many questions for you. I honestly don't know where to start, but how are you, first of all? I'm very well. How are you? I'm very well, if very curious. How on earth did you become a water sommelier? Where did this begin? I've worked in the hospitality industry for 30 plus years. I've been an executive chef, Um, a general manager of a hotel and conference center. I came to Dubai as the operations manager and executive chef at an elite school in Dubai. And we were notified that the school was closing down for refurbishments. I wondered and I pondered what I would do, something different, um, having worked in the hospitality industry for so long. I did a lot of homework from Bonbonary Favors with COVID, no weddings, and I stumbled upon water and I absolutely love water. I'm a great swimmer. I've swum around the Burj Al Arab twice. So anything for with water for me is good. And that includes making a cup of coffee with water. So, yeah, I enjoy water. And that's what steered me in that direction. Uh, well, okay, so full confession time. I'm a bit of a water nerd because my dad worked for a water company when I was growing up. So we were forever trying to find different water bottles and he would talk about tasting. He worked in desalination and he worked in different energy. So I'm I'm into it. I'm with you. I also love swimming. Typical Cancerian. Anything to do with water could not be happier. But I'm just curious about how this becomes a job. Is this because here in Dubai, you know, we're so used to having choice. Is it a case of, you know, still or sparkling just doesn't cut it anymore? You've hit the nail on the head. I think people deserve choices. Um, Generally, when you go into a restaurant, they have one brand. Why can't we have a water menu where it includes so many different waters? I've managed to source 32 natural waters in the UAE, some of them including iconic brands that have been around forever, all from different sources, which make each water unique. So, yes, water is special. I wanted to ask then a little bit about some of the characteristics that you can taste in water. I guess like flavour profiles, what are some of the things that you, who've now obviously got a very sophisticated palate for this, could perhaps detect that 
those of us can't when we're just, you know, knocking it back, trying to get our, our few litres in a day? Your most important part of the water is the TDS, total dissolved solids, or the minerality. And these are calcium, magnesium, potassium, silica, all of your healthy minerals. They come from the earth. So water, as you know, is a natural product, uh, whether it's come through a, a spring, an artesian water or a well, even seawater, um, rainwater. So wherever that water has traveled before it gets into your glass, that determines its uniqueness and its properties. So always read the label and look for a water with a TDS. Um, a low TDS is not indicative of anything bad in the water. It's indicative that the water is an a newer water or a younger water? I know this is going to be a tough question and I don't mind you naming a couple of brands on air because I'm, I'm genuinely curious. But do you have any favourites or is it very much a case of a different water for a different time of day or mood? Alison, talk, talk us through it. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head again. No specific water. You always will take into consideration what is the occasion, what are you eating, <laughs> where are you eating? I mean, you drink different water at home to what you drink in a restaurant or if you're on the desert or in the beach, on a beach. So also, you know, you're going to take into consideration your, you want to drink a naturally sourced water, either from a beautiful stemmed glass or from a recyclable um, container bottle that you will drink your water from. I was just talking on the show yesterday and I got ribbed for it about, I don't know if you've seen the, the many Dubai can water stations around Dubai. So I think there's 34 different places now you can go and fill up your water bottle. The water's delicious. It is cold and gorgeous. And I've had, and then I got about three messages going, totally agree. <laughs> so I'm clearly not alone. There are other people out there who actually do appreciate, you know, a good, a good, a good tasting water. So do you have any, any favourites at all that you think deserve a bit of recognition? And, and if so, why are they you know, up there? To be honest, um, I think what the initiative that Dubai has done to cut down or reduce plastic bottles is a fantastic initiative. The water, as you say, is absolutely delicious. It's cold, it's refreshing, and it's free. Yes, 34 fountains around Dubai. I think it's absolutely marvellous. Um, I've also found another water in the UAE that comes in a box and it's called natural. Uh, that reduces all the plastic. It's 90% less plastic and even the box is recyclable. So what I'm saying is there's many options to drink from. So during the day, I drink perhaps a, a bit of uh, natural. I'll drink some Evian and that kind of stuff different waters and at night I like to have a sparkling water so different carbonations so you either want a gentle carbonation or a bold carbonation again depending what you're eating. This is it's just a whole new world we the best thing I was literally just talking to Roger from Offscript about this before the best thing we got since we since I've been in Dubai is an under sink water filter so we're not having to think about purely practical I mean cost as well about bringing water into the house all the time and I wish it was cold but it does taste absolutely fantastic um what about carbonating at home is that something you've tried I haven't tried it at home but there are various machines that you can do um I think it's a company called no more bottles that have a cold water a room temperature water and a carbonated water and I've had that and that was really delicious Okay, now I've got a question here that's come in um, from Rob saying, <laughs> why does water that has been in mountains for years have an expiry date on the bottle? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> in fact, I have exactly the same question. Um, 
everything has to have an expiry date that you know. So you will notice that all of the bottles will generally have a two-year to three-year expiry date. Anything less than that, they won't accept them on the shelves. But I have the same question. Yeah, it's thousands of years old and now we have to drink it in two years. Uh, I think they're actually just being overly cautious. It's probably the plastic rather than the water, I would imagine. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Alison Pona joining us now. She's the first qualified water sommelier here in the GCC. She's hosting an upcoming event where you can learn more and even try water pairing. Talk us through water pairing because is it to do with country of origin? Is it to do with how the water is produced that you find its qualities lend itself to different dishes and ingredients? It's more to do with the mouthfeel of the water and the consistency of the water. So you get some waters that are actually quite thick, like olive oil. So you, getting back to the spill, uh, sorry, still and sparkling, you would pair different waters with different dishes. For example, fish, ceviche, sushi, salads, light dishes, these pair well with a low minerality water, whereas spicy food or oxtails and barbecues, and these pair well with a higher minerality water and often with carbonation. I'm, fa- I'm fascinated. Are there any waters that have a sweetness to them or even a saltiness? I actually find Fiji a little bit sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some waters which aren't available in the UAE, um, a bit salty. I find Evian a little bit salty, to be honest. It leaves a, a tannin, um, a salty taste in my mouth. It's That's funny you should me. say that, because this is going to sound like the most ridiculous sentence ever. But I find Evian to be quite a drying water when I drink. I don't feel like I've been quenched, if that makes sense. Which I know, yeah. Does that make sense? Am I talking? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Okay, good. I found I found my people. I found my fellow water nerds. So tell us a little bit about the event that you're hosting. Who is it for, and is it open to everybody, Alison? No, it's a private event. Unfortunately, due to numbers and being cautious, uh, I'm hosting an event at Top Golf to introduce the GCC region to naturally sourced mineral waters. Um, I'll be having six different types of waters from different sources with different minerality and TDS, and I just to introduce myself, water menus, uh, team building and food and water pairings. What about packaging? What role does that have? Is that something to do with perception of, you know, luxury or being eco-conscious or does the packaging actually have an impact on the taste as well? I do believe the packaging has an impact. Um, Unfortunately, below some of our buildings in the shops, that water is all outside in the sun. Mm -hmm. And when you leave plastic in the sun, it releases certain chemicals which change the taste of your water. Um, predominantly all of our naturally sourced waters are in glass, which is recyclable. Um, some are in plastic, but we're trying to not use too much plastic. So it definitely does change the taste. And I think uh, a glass bottle is better for presentation in your restaurant or in your hotel. Uh, and it also commands a higher price and it has some snob value. It does have a bit of snob value. Now, lastly, before I let you get back to your day, yeah. if we want to taste water like an expert, any drinking tips so we can taste specific characteristics? I mean, do you do you swirl it like you would other beverages or can you just knock it back like you would other beverages? <laughs> no, you would do it in, I prefer my glass, my water in a stemmed glass so that I'm holding the actual stem and not warming up the water. Mm-hmm. We generally taste water at room temperature, although I find it more thirst quenching cold but at room temperature you get to taste all of the minerals all of the it doesn't numb your taste buds so 
always in a stemmed glass for me, not always practical, like on the beach or at the pool or in the desert, otherwise in a refillable bottle. Um, and a question here from Taz saying, can you please say the name of the boxed water you mentioned earlier? It's called Natural, N-A-T-R-L. Um, I don't have it with me. I should have brought a picture that I could show you, but I could send it through. Um, and they can either contact myself or contact Natural. It's delivered to your home. It's really well priced at 60 dirham per litre. And it's a delicious, crisp, fresh water. Thank you. This is a whole a whole new world that you're introducing us to this afternoon. Really, really appreciate your time, Alison. If anyone wants to find out more, and I guess, as you say, kind of book you for team building or private tastings or anyone in the F&B industry listening today who thinks, do you know what? We should have a bigger water menu. What's the best way of getting in touch? I'm available on email, um, info at amanzywater, A-M-A-N-Z-I water, dot life, or, yeah, or I have an Instagram page, which is amanzi underscore water underscore life. Please contact me, and I'd love to elevate your experience with water. <sighs> so there you go. Oh, also, question. How much water do you, yes. think, do you think you drink a day? You're glowing. I'm clear, you're clearly getting your litres in. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I drink a, a lot of water. In the olden days, they used to say two to three litres of water a day. Remember that even a cup of coffee or a cup of tea is 98% water. Mm -hmm. So I drink a lot of water. Again, it will depend on whether you're male or female, your age and your job. If you have a more sedentary job, you will drink less water than when I was an executive chef in a kitchen where we drank liters. Mm -hmm. Drink water consistently. Once you are thirsty or have a headache, you are already dehydrated. Okay. Now, listen, I am am a... You can tell my water bottle's in the corner. I get through about four litres a day and I have a very sedentary job. But we live in Dubai as well. The temperatures are climbing, folks. Stay hydrated and do it well. Do it in style. Thank you, Alison, for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Alison there, the first qualified water sommelier in the GCC. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. And not just any chef joining us live in the studio is Gregor Berger. He is the youngest and the only chef in the country to be featured in the Top 100 Best Chefs Award for five consecutive years and is widely regarded as one of the most creative and innovative brains in the business here in the UAE. He is back at Oceano Atlantis, that incredible underwater restaurant. And you were talking us through the menu, but also going back in time as well, talking about his background. Uh, bienvenue, how are you? Hi, Ian. It's wonderful to have you here. And I know Thank Fridays you. are crazy busy in hospitality. So Indeed. I do value your time. Although maybe this is a treat to get out of the crazy kitchen yeah, and just sometimes, yeah, it's good. chill. Good, good opportunity to get out. Chill with us for a little bit. Tell us, where were you born? Where did you grow up, chef? So I'm from France. I'm sure my accent uh, says it. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Brittany, which is the west part of, uh, of France. It's known for being an incredible foodie destination. What's some of the, what's some of the ingredients and produce that you grew up eating and being? Oh, around? it's mostly seafood, uh, a little bit of meat, but uh, mostly yeah, seafood. Very beautiful seafood from the from the coast. And what's, what are there any smells that take you back to your childhood? Uh, I would say thyme and uh, rhubarb. Really? Yeah. I don't think of rhubarb being very French. I think of that being like a very... Yeah, that's English- a debate. <laughs> okay, okay. We'll, we'll have this after five o'clock then. <laughs> and who was cooking? Who was, who was the chef in your house? Uh, I would say, I mean, my mother was not that good, good cook. Yeah, I haven't become uh, a chef because of my mother, more like because of my friend. So at home was like more my brother that loved to cook. 
and uh, you know my mother I had five four kids sorry and uh, and she 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 tried to make it right so and fast so she was about the function she was yes, about fueling yeah. up four kids yeah. maybe not but always good products and this but is not a that thing. crazy food but if you grow up around amazing produce and that could be on a farm or in a mm. beautiful place like Brittany that I think you only realize it when you understand that some people don't um, that must have informed so much about your palate and understanding of seasonality and, and respect, respect. Of, uh, sustainability yeah. also. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when did you decide that you wanted to work in food? What was that connection? It was like, uh, I, was, I wasn't meant to be a chef, I believe, but um, at certain point of my life, I had to do something. Like uh, back in the days, you know, being a chef was more, you don't know what to do, let's do that, you know. And it, it started a bit like that. But when I, first my, I met my first chef, which became my mentor, then I started to realize that this is exactly what I, want, I wanted to do, you know. So it became obvious for me. How old were you then? Uh, 16. That's young. Yeah, very young, yeah. I think that... Even before, I was 15 when I started because at 14, my first stage was in a camping as a flipping uh, sausages and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know. <laughs> and now you're, mm. you know, at one of the most incredible restaurants in... Uh, it's a good place. Yeah. It's a very good place. Mm. Uh, but I think that mentor relationship is, is such a special one in the world of food. You know, yeah. you, having someone that is there and what may and probably will be very tough with you if they see your potential and, and you know, wanting to grow you. You know, if they see that you have talent and drive and you're willing to put in the hours. Yeah, 100%, yeah. What I've been lucky enough to have different mentors in my life, but not only into the food aspect, like in behavior, like in the relationship, like in a lot of different verticals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a real blessing because mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of go through life without that... North Star, I suppose. Yeah, that was someone true. that you can not necessarily emulate, but be inspired by, someone that you respect and can learn from. And now you're the one who's having CVs put in front of you and you're mm-hmm. the one assembling your team. What do you look for in Young Talent Chef? Uh, willingness. Not even skills, just willingness. That's all. I think when you, you have the will to do something, you will do it. Whatever. Not in studies, not in nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need it. But uh, I am the proof that the willingness can, can open any doors. Let's talk food. Because we, as I said, were lucky enough to have you back at Oceano at Atlantis. Underwater restaurant, stunning, stunning vistas and yes, incredible food as well. So you are back and there's a menu running through until the summer. I believe that it's kind of inspired by you and your travels and your childhood. Can you talk us through it? Yeah, I mean, with myself and uh, me and myself, I call this menu back home because um, when I walk from 2014 to 2020, uh, in Oceano, uh, when I left for a year, I took time to go back home, which is Brittany. Um, during those uh, six or seven years, I haven't really got the time to go back there. And then I realized how much I come from there. Mm-hmm. It's crazy when you come. I mean, there's a lot of people living in Dubai. And time flies, you work a lot, and then you realize that you you don't really know from where do you belong anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I came back, I did my stuff. And when I came back in Oceano, I had this same feeling back home. So that's why I reunite basically the, the, the spirit of Oceano, which is obviously the, the, the ocean, but also uh, where I come from, Brittany. So the menu is like 90% uh, products from Brittany. Wow. So what's on the menu? And I know it's, it's, mm. it's lots of little pieces rather than being, you know, mains. How, are we talking tasting menu? Yeah, it's a, it's a menu, 9 to 11 waves. Oh. We don't even call it uh, courses. It's waves. So what's that? Yeah, so it's um, basically it's... Uh, 
How to explain that? Oceano always been a place where you eat, but where also you had a, you have a story, which is a genuine story. Because from start, my aim was to create something that was, um, I would say, um, genuinely driven, not only by the products, but by also the fact that uh, um, Oceano it's it's a very special place. Outside of the time when you go there, you spend three hours, you don't even know where you are anymore because it's so magical. And uh, and to tell a story was my way to be able to explain better my food. Mm-hmm. Um, if you give my menu to anybody without telling a story, they will not understand the full meaning of it. So the design, the plate, the products, all as a as a story, as a meaning, as a sustainability, as a, an engagement on something. Um, yeah, it's a, it's pretty interesting, but it's you have to live it to understand it. I want you to make us hungry. What are some of the standout flavors or compositions, the tastes that you are really proud of? Yeah, I mean, uh, a seawater. That's very fun, but I created a, a recipe of seawater, which is not uh, coming from the sea, but it's a, it's, a, it's a mix of elements. And I'm very happy because it's really the, the memory of being a child, going in the ocean and, and sw- swallowing the, the water. And uh, I like that because I, I create a lot of things uh, with this base. So, yeah. I think it's really interesting that thought of going home as, mm. as an expat and as someone such as yourself who's travelled for work and inspired by different countries and different people because mm. we can go, can you ever go back home? You know, as, as, as someone who's lived away, you know, I go back to the UK and so much is the same, the village that I grew up in. You know, a lot of the people are still the same. And I am, of course, the same person, but so much has changed. My lens has changed. You know, mm. I'm, a, I'm a mother now and I, I didn't it's have cool. children then and, you know, my responsibilities have changed. My, t- You know, it's... It's very discombobulating, you know, that sense of identity. And did you feel like you've learned about yourself then because of that journey and, and taking that I mean, and I'll communicating let, I, it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I'm sure that a lot of people living in Dubai, especially people living since a long time, mm-hmm. relate to it. Um, for me, uh, there is many things you learn uh, traveling the world. I left, I was 17. So I never really get back. My wife is Moroccan. And uh, I've been living also in Morocco. So at the end of the day, you are not even French or, or from UK. Or you are, Dubai makes people citizens of the world, I believe. And then it's also difficult to cook for them because you are cooking for the world every day. I have 20 tables every night, maybe 20 different expectations, nationalities, uh, background. So hence the importance for me to tell a story because you connect with people. And you connect with yourself. And that's... 100%. Yeah. That's wonderful. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Meeting the chef this hour, it's a chef, Gregoire Berger. He is there at the helm at Oceana and Atlantis. Chef, your, your job is literally tasting for a living. But if you could have only one food that you'd be an expert in, like an, an international sommelier of, what would it be? Cheese. Cheese. French. Yeah. So French. So what's, <laughs> what's your favourite cheese? Uh, Soumantrain. I mean, there's a lot of good cheeses. I mean, in, in, in France, there is more than 400 type of, you know, so it's like it's difficult. But uh, Le Gapron d'Auvergne, so, which is a, a, a cheese with a lot of garlic. It's beautiful. I don't know, all I'm of them. Hung- I'm hungry. Okay. I want you to make us a little bit more hungry. Um, tell us a little bit about your philosophy on food. When people come and understand a lot more about you and your journey and your home country, what is the message that you would like them to take home, apart from having a, a very happy belly? What's the, the memory, I guess? I think that we feed people, we feed their stomach, but also we feed their, we try to feed their soul. We, we live in a world that um, we all socializing in, into Instagram and, and stuff like that, but it's kind of not social at all because uh, we are not meeting anymore. 
when you spend time three hours into a restaurant having people around you genuinely welcoming you and and trying to give you a, a real genuine time mm -hmm. i think you achieve something more than just feeding them so there is a lot of restaurants when you go and eat and and, and that's it you know you know chano is more into into trying to have an experience which is also a human related experience and it's escapism as well you yeah. know you, you talked before about this tasting menu where if you put your phone away you could, you know you could be anywhere yeah. in the world you know you're underwater there's And It's I always said, you know, there is only, there is a wall that is um, with, fi with fish constantly moving, which means that since the opening, the room never been the same, which means that in terms of energy, it's like very special. Mm -hmm. Now, this is, a, maybe you'll find it an easy question, but it's something I struggle with. The thought of your last meal on Earth. So imagine I was going to send you to a desert island, but a really rubbish one, like not, not like a tropical island paradise. The yeah. food's going to be terrible. But the night before you go, you get to have the menu of your dream. Starter, main dessert. If you wanted to have three cheese courses, then that's fine. It is your decision, chef. Yeah. What would be on the menu? The couscous of my wife. Oh, <laughs> that's beautiful. So you, would that be your starter or main? It's going to be everything. Everything. It's a, it's a, it's a seven course meal. <laughs> Do you have a sweet tooth yourself? Sorry? Do you have a sweet tooth? Uh, yeah, big time. Yeah, I love dessert. And in Oceano, I do all the dessert myself. That's unusual. I love tiramisu and I love everything with sugar, ice cream also. Because normally it's like, it's, you know, pick a lane, pick a discipline, you know, yeah, you want to be pastry. Nothing but is really normal in what I do, you know. What I have no rules. What For me, everything's the same. <laughs> what about cooking at home? You have I two mean, daughters. I mean, my wife cooks better than me at home. Because me, I need a commie, I need a stewarding, I need a waiter, I need, <laughs> I need, need everything. You know? <laughs> and lastly, you've mentioned before the importance of the mentors that you've had and the people mm. you've been surrounded by and, and who yes. you're inspiring now. But whose opinion means the most to you it, when it comes to a taste or understanding what you're trying to communicate? Who uh, do you really trust? My wife, honestly. Because I know, she, I know that she will be the hardest on me because she, she really loves me. People try tend to always tell, tell you what you want to hear. Mm -hmm. And it's not the, the best way to grow. So better being hard on us and... And yeah, it's the best way to grow, I believe. Tough love, and then we get yeah. the best on the plate. Person. Chef, thank you so much. For anyone that wants you, to man. visit you, uh, as I said, you're going to be serving this menu inspired by your life and travels until the summer, I believe. Yeah. And if anyone wants to check you out on Instagram, see some of your creations, what's the best way of finding you? Chef Grégoire Berger. Thank you so, so much. Really appreciate thank it. You. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. We always love exploring new places and sometimes that includes countries. So we're hoping to introduce you to some restaurants, some cafes that are serving up unusual cuisine, some that you might not see in every mall or every neighbourhood. Today we're going to... Uzbekistan, joined by Chef Alejandro Castro from Osh in Le Mer. Now, Uzbek foods are some of the most colourful and delicious dishes of Central Asia, but really starting to gain popularity, including here in Dubai and Chef joining us on the line. How are you, Alejandro? Thank you for being with us. Hi, Helen. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. And I came to Osh a couple of weeks ago and thought we need to know more about this because I'd never been to any restaurant that served Uzbek cuisine before. Um, so we're going to explore a little bit about some of the dishes, the, the flavours, and really kind of pick your brains a little bit. But before we get to the food, can you tell us about you? Where did you grow up and how did you find yourself in the culinary world? Oh, well, that's a long story, but make it short. Uh, I was born in Ecuador. I did uh, an apprenticeship in Australia and uh, been working in Dubai since... Uh, 2014, so no, 2013, so it's going to be seven years, yeah, in here. 
I love this. This is this is the classic Dubai from Ecuador via Australia here to Dubai and serving Uzbekistan food. And the, if that's not Dubai cultural melting pot, I don't know what is. Now, what are some of the key characteristics of Uzbek cuisine? What are some of the dishes, you know, unusual ingredients, something we might have heard of, but equally something that might be super famous there that we've never heard of? Oh, well, it's not really unusual. The Uzbek cuisine is based uh, on the richness of their ingredients, uh, the richness of their land. They grow uh, crazy good vegetables, uh, a lot of uh, lamb involved in their, in their diet, a lot of uh, natural fats, not hydrolyzed. It hasn't been over overproduced. They don't use uh, a lot of imported ingredients, mm-hmm. so let's say. So they keep the traditional flavors going on and this has been cuisines that have been ever since before there were nations they were just uh, uh, empires before so it's a cuisine that has withstand the test of time and thankfully we're bringing that to Dubai now so the nationals and also the expat can have a taste of it and uh, as you as you tasted uh, a couple weeks ago uh, become fans of, of the Uzbek cuisine, which has a lot a lot to bring to the to the plate. It was so interesting, Chef, because I felt like some of it felt familiar. Some of it were combinations I'd never had before. I had this beautiful beef broth soup um, that was with, you know, really delicate, soft noodles in it. Tell us a little bit about the stuffed breads you do, because the bread was sensational. Oh, yeah. Well, that's one of the staple dish from Uzbek cuisine. It's called a samsa. It's a tandoorin-baked pastry. So the dough is being rolled at least three to four times, uh, then cut portion. And here in the restaurant, we stuff it with, one is with uh, lamb, the other one's with beef, the other one's with chicken. Um, Close in our pastry dough, and then the tandoor, which is being heated, they go in the inside of the tandoor, stuck to the walls, close till they get crispy outside, and uh, then it gets quite uh, juicy on the inside, and it's served with a with a tomato sauce called uh, ajika. Speaking so, speaking of tomatoes, is- chef, the tomato carpaccio I had. I've, I'm still thinking about it. And I think that is because, I mean, I've been to Dubai longer than you. But <laughs> honestly, it blew my mind because I think we get, we often get used to, I don't know how to not offend anybody, tomatoes not tasting like tomatoes. And there was just so much flavour in those. They were absolutely sensational. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We're exploring Uzbek food this afternoon with Chef Alejandro from Osh. It's in Le Maire. I went a few weeks ago and was completely blown away. Some food, as I just said, the tomato carpaccio, beautiful soups and stews and the rice. It was pretty carby, Chef. This is a good thing in my book. I'm, I'm, I'm all about the carb on carb. So thank you for being with us today. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the restaurant itself? There's an open kitchen there, which I always feel like is a bit of a brave move for chefs. You all need to be behaving yourselves. Um, does that feel different for you as a chef to be on display, I guess, to your diners? Uh, it's a little bit more challenging regarding... Uh composure and uh, discipline Mm -hmm. but it also helps us to keep our stations much more organized clean uh, all of the time Uh, we got to restrain a little bit regarding the the shouting (laughs) the yelling which can get hectic in a a busy kitchen as ours 
But uh, yeah, no, it's beautiful to showcase what we can do because sometimes the back of house is, well, at the back of the house, mm -hmm. so nobody sees it. Mm -hmm. um, to be able to be seen and taste it is a, is a privilege that uh, very few kitchens have. One thing I wanted to ask you, Chef, was about being respectful to some of those traditional dishes and they, you know, some of them are Ukrainian, Uzbeki, you know, um, but also be having the freedom to put a bit of innovation on there as well, a bit of a modern twist. How do you toe that line and, and get that balance? So you're introducing it to a whole new audience, but those, as you say, when you've got Uzbekistan nationals who want to come in and try some of their home foods, they're not going to be shocked by, you know, what might be on the plate. Well, yeah, so that's where we have uh, a menu that's kind of like split in two. It's mixing, but uh, for example, the traditional recipes, we keep them traditional. We don't want to mess with the history. Uh, if, it's, if something is not broke, then don't fix it. Uh, now, with the other recipes that we come, uh, that are new to us and that we work on, we don't mix or we don't try to fuse uh, a national or a traditional cuisine, but we come up mostly with the ingredients that come from that country and, and work with them to create something new. So you have something new that doesn't disrespect the traditions and you have the traditional recipes that have been the same way they were from the grandmas of the grandmas to the, <laughs> from the babushkas from the beginning. I was going to say the babushkas. Um, so for anyone that's coming to... Actually, what does Osh mean? I meant to ask when I, when I visited. What does the word Osh mean? So Osh is the national dish from Uzbekistan. Uh, is the plot. It's the, the this, rice. Uh, very rich rice dish with lamb and uh, carrots and onions and raisins, which uh, was created to feed the the armies in the in the past. They needed a very caloric dish to keep them in, uh, during the fights and during the, the the wars. And this dish has evolved to our days and hasn't been touched. It has been the same ever since. Well, it varies from region to region, but mm -hmm. pretty much is the same. Now, Chef, a question here from Alina saying, could you put together a dream meal? So I think what we're saying is if we go to the, if we were coming to Osh over the weekend and we wanted to experience Uzbek cuisine, could you tell us now a starter, a main and even a dessert that you think we'd really get a flavor of that food and, and an understanding of the country and its cuisine? Well, uh, quite hard, <laughs> but uh, no, I would, uh, I would always uh, suggest to go with the easiest of our salads, which is the ajuchuk, which contains just Uzbek tomatoes, onions, olive oil, salt, pepper, and uh, that's it, a little bit of basil. So it doesn't hide, it doesn't have too much... Uh, technique so you can really really get a taste of the tomatoes that you were speaking about mm -hmm. so they can they can speak back to you in terms of flavor in terms of richness in terms of how they have been produced uh, they're very very good on um, for a main course i will say straight away with a plov uh, which is the national dish and as a side a little bit of a shashlik which are these uh, skewers that are grilled over charcoal uh, very different types of meat chicken beef lamb combinations of so fish and to finish off um we have a lot of ice creams that are homemade but Salt. i would say go for a napoleon which is uh 
uh, a Russian dish that has been quite uh, praised in the restaurants. Okay, right. Tummy's rumbling. Thank you so much for sharing your time on a Friday afternoon. I know for chefs this is a really busy time and uh, really appreciate you kind of lifting the lid on some of the dishes there at Osh. All the very best to you and the team. Have a great weekend. Chef Alejandro joining us from Osh. It's there at La Mer. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Getting you out and about, introducing you to some incredible people in the foodie community, including our next guest, Zara Abdullah, cookbook author, blogger, food entrepreneur and part of the Spinney's Incubator Programme. Zara, how are you this afternoon? Hey, Helen, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm very well. Now, you are, of course, a professional cook, but here's my question to you, and you can't win the Spinney's voucher, I'm afraid. <laughs> what would you be, be a professional taster of? What would you specialise in? Oh, my Lord. You know, I, I knew you were going to ask me this question. And I just had a million thoughts come into my mind. Um peanut butter. <laughs> oh, really? I said pizza earlier. I'm going to change my mind because I've just had some um, mini eggs. So I'm going to say Easter eggs. I think oh, that, yes. you know how sometimes in magazines around Easter time, they're like ra- rounding up the top 10 Easter eggs. I was like, I could do that. That could be my job. I, I'd be happy to <laughs> sacrifice waistline general health for, for this to be my role in life. Well, thank you for being with us this afternoon. For anyone who's not familiar with you and your work, although I'd be surprised if they're not given just how prolific you are. Zara, what, what made you make food your career? Can you, can you talk us through that, that transition and that decision? A lot of people don't realize this, but actually I, I studied political science and I used to work in the shipping industry. Um, and over the years, the one thing that always has made me happy is food. And I've always said I'm a feeder. And I guess you can say I'm just one of those really lucky people that found their passion and found a way to build a career around it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't intentional. It happened by mistake. But I just went along with it and made it into something bigger than I had ever imagined it to be. You're a pretty early adopter of social media. How, how was that a bit of a tool in building your profile and starting to work with different people? It took me a long time to understand how I could use social media in a very positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when I figured it out, I realized that it was actually an incredible platform for connecting um, with different brands, with different people, and from you know, all around the world. And I have to say, I'm very grateful because not only did it allow me to expand my visibility, but also allowed me to grow my my dreams and develop my opportunities. And, you know, privileges like being able to be chosen uh, as one of the Spinney's Incubator program is something that, you know, is a dream that I never think I would have ever dreamed that have, had I not pursued this blogging career mm-hmm. and, and just gone down the road that it took me. And it's been an amazing journey. You've presented TV shows. You've you've obviously written books, as I mentioned. And yeah, a new frozen food range that's going to be launching during Ramadan, um, available in our Spinney stores. What was the inspiration behind that? What kind of problem are you looking to solve with this range, Zara? For me, I always think, what would I want my sister to have? What would I want my best friend to have? What are the things that I would stock in my own fridge and freezer? Um, and the reality is, our lives are getting busier every single day, mm-hmm. and we want to have quality food, quality ingredients, and we want to be able to enjoy what we're going to eat. And so the stock, the stock that I'm selling, the items that I'm selling this Ramadan are items that I've always kept in stock in my freezer, and now I'm just making them available to a larger audience. The items that really take a bit of love and care to prepare, but they're just super delicious. And I'm hoping that everyone will get a chance to stop by, have a, have a sample, and try it out. 
So you're doing the hard work for us, basically. <laughs> tell us, tell us what what's in the collection. What what are you introducing us to? So it's a it, it's it's traditional Middle Eastern snacks and nibbles, but with little subtle twists. I'm half Iranian, half Sudanese, and my husband's Palestinian Jordanian. So the items are a celebration of all cultures. Um, growing up in Sudan, we always used to make sambusiks, which are these beautiful empanada-style pies. And I have one uh, variety that's with minced beef and another one that's with cheese. The way we grew up eating it in Sudan, the minced beef has a bit of saffron, which is very unique, not typical to the Sudanese kitchen, but typical to the Persian kitchen. Then I've got musakhan roll, which is uh, an ode to my husband's culture. He's Palestinian originally, and so the musakhan roll is a beautiful, slow, braised, caramelized onions made mm. with chicken and summa. And it's just a really, really special, special um, dish. And we roll them up into these little bite-sized uh, rolls so that they're just easy to nibble on. And what's really nice about all the products, we've got six products. Um, there's also beef kibbeh, lamb kibbeh, and another favorite is the zaatar and cheese rolls. And what's really nice about all these items is that obviously they're perfect for Ramadan, but they're also good all year round. Perfect for grazing boards, perfect for uh, back to, uh, school lunches, spec, uh, spe- perfect for last-minute parties, snacks in between school activities. They're just very easy. Um, and there's some key elements that I was very adamant about ensuring. Mm-hmm. Um, they needed to be uh, no additives, no preservatives. Uh, we were responsible in sourcing all our ingredients. And um, the, it's really a range I'm super proud of, and I'm really excited for everyone to sample. Today, actually, I have an open day at Tavola shop. If you happen to be more of Emirates, do pass by between 5 to 7. I'll be giving samples for people to try out. Ooh, and I'm really excited. Love yeah. a sample. When's the, when's the open day? Today at Tavola oh, shop at five uh, between 5, yeah, 5 to 7. I'll be there. It's, Come by, say hello. It's on my way home, Zara. Um, <laughs> Now I should I should have said this earlier when when you joined us, but Happy International Waffle Day! How did that pass oh, me yeah. by? <laughs> how do you, how do you take waffles. yours? Uh, do you know what I really do? The only person that loves waffles more than me is my five year old, and I think <laughs> if she could survive on waffles alone, she probably would. I've never tried to make them at home though. Have you? Well, in my book, I have a waffle recipe, and my son has somehow turned himself into the waffle master. Okay. Um, every every Saturday morning, and with the new weekend Saturday, not Friday, every Saturday morning, he wakes up, and he goes down to the kitchen. And I have to say, I was a bit surprised that he makes my recipe, because you have to separate the egg whites and the egg yolks, but he does it. He's adamant about doing it on his own without any help. And he makes these waffles perfectly, beautifully every single time. And um, he, you know, we always love waffles, but for but now, especially because of him making them, they're just extra special. Oh. And of course, we like it with different topics, sweet, savory, the whole works. <laughs> okay, can you? Is it is it the same batter as a pancake? I've got no idea. What goes into it? There are different types of waffle back, uh, batters, actually. So the kind that I'm making is uh, inspired by a Belgian waffle. And basically, what you do is you separate the egg yolks and the egg whites. But there are batters where you just put the eggs in the same way you would as a pancake. And just the consistency would be a bit more watered down than a pancake batter. Okay. And this is something, how old your son? And just before I, everyone eight. across Dubai is going, he's eight. Good for him. That's great. Do you, do you, just, that's they, incredible. <laughs> 
<laughs> you should check out the uh, Spinney's magazine this month, and there's pictures of him preparing his waffles. Oh, bless him. Was, did he do this <laughs> on Mother's Day? I hope he did. Um, well, no, he did it before Mother, the weekend before Mother's Day. We had an early Mother's Day oh. this year. <laughs> so does that take you back then? When did you start cooking? You know, he's just eight and is, is mastering breakfast and waffles. What was it for you? Oh, my God. I started cooking when I was six years old. We used to live in Sudan, and I remember my mom used to um, study at the uh, Ahfad University in Khartoum. And on Sundays, which would be our days off, but she'd be at school, I remember I'd go in with my Shira pajamas, and I'd bring my chair, and I'd stand over the stovetop, and I'd make chicken escalop. I have no idea how I had the nerve to fry at that age, but we, I used to make chicken escalop when I was six, seven years old. My first cookbook was the um, United Nations cookbook. I don't know if you've ever seen it. The Never. Cookbook. Oh, my God. It's an incredible book. I think I have it hidden somewhere. My mom kept it for me. And it's basically a collection of beautiful recipes from around the world. From the, and, and it was illustrated using little children with their traditional outfits. And I was just mesmerized by the art of cooking from a very young age. And here I am. Here you are with your own range on the shelves. Can you tell, take us behind the scenes a little bit? What goes into creating a product range? You know, are you doing tastings at home? Does your husband never want to have another sample? Set? Like, you know, is he absolutely sick to death? Or is it all happening in the Spinney's development kitchen? Can you lift the lid a little bit? You know, I have to say, this has been one of the most challenging and the most exciting experiences I've ever done. Um, I always said I felt like a blind bat in a cave, but I always knew that I'd see the light. And there's been a lot of trials and error in the process of getting to where I am today. Um, the recipe development is obviously the key component, making sure that you've got it perfected. And it's about re- 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 repeating the recipes over and over again to make sure that all the grams are so precise because we need to ensure consistency. And it's been a fun journey. Um, I've learned a lot. I've made a lot of amazing friends who are in the F&B industry. And they're so generous. They're mm-hmm. so helpful. And it's really interesting how much information people are happy to share um, when you just ask. So the Spinney's team has been incredible, very supportive in guiding me with the right steps, with the right processes. And I just can't wait. It just seems so surreal that very soon it's on the show. Well, <laughs> huge congratulations. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are talking food this afternoon and in conversation with Zara Abdullah, a cookbook author, blogger, food entrepreneur, um, a busy mum as well. And her new food range is going to be launching during Ramadan as part of the Spinney's Incubator program. So you'll be able to find it on the shelves. Um, Zara, as I said, you have kids yourself. Tell us a little bit about some of the challenges you've had in making sure they've got a balanced diet and some tips and tricks that the rest of us can perhaps try at home to overcome challenging eating behaviours, shall we say? So, of course, as you know, I have three boys and, you know, my sister has three children and between the nephews and nieces in the family, we've got a lot of kids with different mm. eating habits. And it can get sometimes a bit tricky about making sure that everyone eats. But one thing I've learned is never to make a big deal about the food. I find the more that we focus on the food, the more picky they become. Sometimes the picky eating isn't about the food itself. It's more about the attention that they want because our lives are so busy that we don't give it to the children. And so what I've noticed is that eating together at the table is such a simple but such an important 
thing to do with our children. And naturally, they'll observe us, and naturally, they will kind of want to mimic what we do, kind of like the monkey see, monkey do um, idea. And you'll be surprised at how children's eating happen, how children's eating habits can change. I remember this once situation where a good friend of mine came over, and I had made steamed uh, gorgettes for the boys to eat. And her son would never have touched it. But because the kids were sitting together and they were eating together, next thing you know, he leaned in and enjoyed his plate. And she looked at me and she was like, are you kidding me? Did my child just eat those gorgettes? I was like, yeah. And she was shocked because no one bothered him to eat it. No one asked him to eat it. He just wanted to do what everyone else was doing. That's true. Don't underestimate the power of peer pressure. It can, <laughs> it, it can really... Well, I used to do this quite a bit with the girls and, at nursery, putting things that they wouldn't try at home in and find out from their friends parents oh does tilly like this oh does you know does basra have this you know and just be like oh maybe tabby would try this you know because it's about part you know wanting to feel part of the gang and kind of fitting in and you know food is that it's such an inherently social thing that why wouldn't that extend to it what what about cooking um and your children what kind of things could we be doing over the weekend that you know are age appropriate with little ones to get them interested in food and a bit of messy play, but with some benefits of being able to eat at the end. You know, it's the simple things like going through books and choosing menus together and going shopping together and buying the ingredients together, getting child-friendly knives and letting them chop things with you, stir things with you. I know it can get a bit nerve-wracking having little kids in the kitchen, but I think if, you, if we give them, even me included, sometimes I forget the same advice that I share. If we give them a bit of a benefit of doubt, we'll be surprised at what they can achieve. I mean, I'm telling you, my eight-year-old is separating egg yolks from egg whites. Trial and error, let them make a mess. There's nothing wrong with a bit of a mess in the kitchen. It's easy to clean up. But it's just about giving that time and space for those mistakes to happen. And enjoy the process. I think that's it. Right. Really, is an experience. Yeah, I think. Really I, th- experience. I think that's exactly it. I think you know we have these ridiculous kind of you know Instagram expectations of I'm going to cook with my kids and no one's going to get eggshell in the batter and the kitchen's not going to be and it's like a bomb site. But I think if you manage your expectations on the outside, you know, it doesn't really matter. Well, yeah, we'll we'll cl- we'll clean up. That's going to take ten minutes. But <laughs> some of my fondest memories from from growing up were cooking, baking, really, with you know alongside my grandma and. When she died, she left me her 1955 Good Housekeeping Compendium. It's called not even a cookbook, a compendium. And it's you know I found all of her little notes and note cards in there. Some of the things we cooked together, and you know this is where memories are made. You know, and I think it's my in-laws are here now, and they're making you know just like chocolate cornflake nest with mini eggs in the middle, and you know little little kind of sweet treats and banana bread with the the old bananas and. Like that's what I remember. So I, I, I think that I think it is really important to include kids, even though, yeah, the mess, I think, the mess I factor think the is biggest real. Gift, the biggest gift you can give your child is to have beautiful memories around food, because I truly believe that food is nostalgic. Um, my my grandmother, who is one of the biggest influences in my life when it comes to cooking, she's very ill these days, and and unfortunately, we're very worried about how much more how much more time she has with us. Mm-hmm. But I sit and I remember and reminisce on all the different moments I've ever had with her, and they've always been surrounded by food, even our arguments and the kind of. Uh, spinach that I bought. I remember this one time she asked me to buy spinach and I bought the different variety and we had this whole little <laughs> kerfuffle between us and it was a friendly kerfuffle. I mean, I could never 
have a harsh word against my grandmother. She's just so cute and sweet. And I don't know if you've seen her when she was in uh, lockdown with me. Mm-hmm. But she's the sweetest lady, but really strong. And and those are the memories that I carry with me. I mean, every moment of it, you know, you, you, you've got your cookbook that your grandmother wrote in. Those memories, I'm sure, are just so special for you. And those are the memories that sustain our children. For me, it's more than food. It's it's so much more. And there's an element of, of the self-value, self-worth that comes from knowing about your food, your traditions, mm-hmm. your culture. It's just so much deeper than we realize it sometimes. It really is. And I think what you're speaking to there is, you know, and myself as well, you know, thinking about my grandmother's, like, you know, what a legacy, you know, and sometimes it's, I mean, my, my grandma couldn't, I thought for a long time that roast beef was great because she was a horrible, horrible cook, but a brilliant baker. It put me off roast dinners until, <laughs> until I was in my 20s. But, but, you know, to be able to recreate a dish or see an ingredient that takes you back to your childhood and it smells, you know, it's, it is, as you say, food is nostalgia, it's connection, it's communication, it's celebration. And we sometimes forget that sometimes it's... Sometimes it's just fuel and sometimes we're busy and that's okay. But, you know, to be able to now for you, you know, and if, if you're, it is, you know, you're the end of your grandma's life, then what an amazing opportunity to sit down and get those recipes from her and, you know, talk about the, her food memories from her childhood. And I wish I could have that back from mine. So mm-hmm. treasure it, Zara, treasure it. Thank you so, so much for being with us Thank this afternoon. You. Thank um, you, Helen. And a couple, couple of the messages going, is the open day today? It is. Um, Tavola, more of the Emirates, you can go along and meet Zara and uh, try some of the, uh, have a bit of a sneak peek, sneak taste of some of the, yeah. uh, the range that's going to be there on the shelves of Spinney's for Ramadan. Zara Abdul, thank you so, so much. An absolute you, pleasure, Helen. as always. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Specifically, we're talking tea this afternoon. How do you take yours? I'm joined by Dilhan C. Fernando, the CEO of Dilma Tea. So thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. How are you? Hi, Helena. Great. I'm enjoying Dubai and thank you for inviting me. You are very, very welcome. I'm almost afraid to ask this, but how many cups of tea do you drink a day? Fifteen, <gasps> at least. Fifteen full cups of tea? Absolutely, morning till evening. Oh There's my nothing. gosh, how do you get any work done? I suppose tea is your work. So we, we're, <laughs> we're asking everyone this afternoon, Dilhan, to get in touch and say if they were a professional taster of something, what would they be? This is obviously your passion and, and your career. But if you could choose something other than tea, what do you think you'd specialize in? I guess it would be water because for tea, you need good water. But I heard you have a water sommelier on, so I'm not going to talk water. <laughs> well, that's really interesting. So I want to know about how to make the perfect cup. And But before we get to that, I'd love it if you could share a little bit about the known history of tea. How do we know um, about its origins, countries, and how it's developed in terms of status and and I guess that kind of social piece throughout the years? Well, it's nearly 5,000 years ago when tea was first discovered. And the interesting thing is it was discovered as a medicine and it was then Emperor Shen Nung, who's also the father of traditional Chinese medicine. So Shen Nung, uh, the herbalist emperor, as he's known, discovered tea as a herbal healing uh, antitoxin and for its uh, its, its uh, psychological well-being and all the wonderful things that science is telling us about tea today. And based on that, China developed its tea drinking tradition. Uh, eventually, the British acquired it. It became an instrument of intrigue, of conflict, 
and it spread around the world to India, to to Ceylon, to Ceylon as Sri Lanka was then known, mm-hmm. uh, to Africa and so on. But then the social history began with Catherine of Braganza, at least in Europe, where she introduced tea to England. It was known in Holland at the time, but uh, from there began an incredible tradition, which of course you know is being. Um, I guess, highlighted with uh, scones and afternoon tea. And the oh. amazing thing is that it's all being reborn again now. Well, I, you say scones and afternoon tea. In England, there's always an occasion to drink tea. You know, you, you're upset, have a cup of tea. We're together to celebrate, have a cup of tea. Being in a car crash, you need a, a, a nice cup of hot, sweet tea. Um, so, well, I think we've got we've got a lot to thank, uh, thank those people for thousands of years ago. And when it comes to different countries, you're talking here of course about Dilma so Ceylon so Sri Lankan um, what do you think characterizes the different tea from different countries and perhaps in a way that us as you know your regular tea consumers might not understand or even recognize the beautiful thing about tea Ellen is the fact that it is uh, blessed with the fingerprint of nature and so for us for example the tea that we grow in Norelia which is a city of light which was a, a colonial um, I, I guess it was a vacationing place in Sri Lanka uh, it, it, it is uh, 6,000 feet above sea level, it is cool, it is uh, dry, and it produces the most spectacular light, bright teas. But in the same plant, Camellia sinensis, just three hours drive away from Norelia, down by the port city of Gaul, you have the most intense, strong, earthy tea. So I think the, 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 what, it, what makes tea so very special is its diversity, mm-hmm. not only in terms of the terroir of different estates, but at different times. So it's rained, the tea becomes a little thinner. It's more humid, it becomes more intense. It's windy, you get brightness. And this is what we love working uh, with tea, why we love working with tea. So you might have 15 cups a day, but each one of those cups would, could, could in theory be completely different. Absolutely. No one should have a favorite tea. You should have a tea for morning. You should have a tea to have with your steak. You should have a tea to have with your afternoon tea, with your salads and so on. You should try as many as possible. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are talking tea. How do you take yours? As I'm joined by the CEO of Dilmati, Dilhan Fernando, speaking to us about the history of this iconic beverage and perhaps its future as well. Uh, can I ask you, Dilhan, you mentioned there that tea's having a bit of a moment. Tea is trending. I mean, I think for a lot of people it's never gone away. But why do you think it is in the spotlight at the moment right now? Well, we're seeing unprecedented interest in high tea amongst Gen Z and millennials, but it's not just high tea. It's also looking at high tea with a difference, with more depth, where they're looking at tea pairing. So pairing, for example, a, a certain tea that would go with the caramelization on, on a, a mini um, beef burger, the certain tea that would enhance the macadamia in a, in a salad, a certain tea that would bring out the, the or would, would emulsify the fats in in an afternoon tea cake so they're looking at tea at a sensory level pairing and dignifying food but also going beyond and looking at the functional aspects because tea is incredible in that it fights or combats diabetes and can help the body against diabetes by synthesizing sugars by uh, mimicking the action of insulin but can also emulsify the fat so that's great for cleansing your palate but that's what it does uh, in your body so helps also in uh, addressing cholesterol and you know tea is incredible for its wellness well that's what it was discovered for in the first time so 
it's it's fitting that it's renaissance is connected to that and it's just a bonus that it tastes so good um you said earlier you have about 15 cups a day so who better to ask about making the perfect brew can you talk us through step by step making the cuppa of your dreams absolutely you wouldn't believe it but we've had 300 people in the past three days through the dilma school of tea and i've been doing this twice a day and it's been such a pleasure and it's it's you never bore of it but the most important thing is to make sure that you take care of your tea so you must make sure that you store your tea in a cool dry place in an airtight container because tea is hygroscopic and it absorbs moisture and odors and so on but then you you've got to make sure that you use the right amount of tea so two and a half uh, grams of, of tea or one tea bag per 200 mils of, of tea, which is a typical serving. But then you also need to use good water. So we, we talked about water just, just being water, but actually water is an art. And I think you're going to hear about that later. Mm-hmm. But water contains calcium, it contains minerals and so on. So you've got to get a water that isn't too hard, neither too hard nor too soft. So around a pH of six, seven. And you know, on the bottles, you have total dissolved solids, TDS, it should be less than 150 because calcium like london water doesn't do any good to to good tea once you've boiled your water you need to work on the process of extraction which is basically adding the right amount of water say 200 mils to two and a half grams of tea or a tea bag but you've got to stir lots of people forget to stir because the water and the tea have to come into contact so once you've stirred Uh, Once you leave it for a while, you leave it for a minute, you stir again. So for a green tea, a couple of minutes will do. And for a black tea, you need at least three minutes. But if you're going to add milk, which I suspect you probably do, Helen, being Mm -hmm. uh, being, uh, (laughs) then you need to push it a little bit. Because remember, in gastronomy, uh, harmony is is so important. So you've got to balance the ingredients. If you're adding milk, make sure your tea is stronger. So brew it for five minutes, stir occasionally strong cup of tea, a dash of warm milk, but tea is also brilliant with cinnamon, with ginger, with mint leaves. Uh, it's, it's fantastic with, with so many natural ingredients, but try to substitute sugar. If you like sweetness in your tea, try to substitute it with a light honey, like a blossom honey that isn't too leathery, that would uh, keep the tea natural. This is like poetry and science together this world of tea that you live in what's um what's trending at the moment when whether it's through sales or social media what do you think is going to be kind of hot in the world of tea well on monday we're working with some bartenders we've we, since the uh, early 2000s we've been working on tea mixology combining tea with different spirits uh, i mean whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic cocktails or mocktails and i think that's where it is because tea is such a versatile uh, herb, you have the uh, strong, dark, intense, you've got the malty, you've got the bright and brisk, you've got the light and almost lychee-like. So you have you have an incredible breadth of tastes and textures and flavors. And connecting that with other ingredients to respectfully integrate tea into a drink is probably something uh, that is that, that we are seeing coming up faster than, than most other trends. Of course, gastronomy and tea pairing with food is another, but uh, I think this is something that uh, is going to be big in the coming years. So interesting. Thank you so, so much. I had my honeymoon in the tea plantations of Sri Lanka and it is truly one of my fondest memories. Just such a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Incredible people and uh, some, yeah, a great souvenir as well. One that I can take through for the rest of my life. So thank you so much for your time today. I'm going to let you get back to what is probably 
another cup of tea. Thank you so, so much. Speaking to us on the topic of tea, Dilhan C. Fernando, the CEO of Dilma Tea. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. We are looking behind the headlines, talking about where to go and what to eat. And right now with Courtney Brandt, food writer, and your culinary guide around Dubai. Courtney, happy belated birthday. How are you? Thanks. I am doing very well. My 42nd year is off Yay. to a great start. <laughs> well, we were just in conversation with Chef Gregor Berger of Ostiano, which is where you spent your birthday night. So fine taste and a happy coincidence. What did you eat? What were some of the highlights of that amazing Brittany-inspired menu? It is incredible. And I, the thing I love about Chef is he is one of the most cerebral, intellectual uh, chefs you will ever run across. His plating is outstanding. He has a dish. I don't think I'm giving anything away, but it's inspired by an oil spill and it totally works. <laughs> so how many courses did you have, Courtney? Well, we're looking at 11 ways um, and uh, it's all done... Uh, it was it was a beautifully orchestrated meal, and all my my the generosity and uh, genuine kind of approach of the team. Um, so it's it's just as equal a part as the service as mm-hmm. it is the food. Mm-hmm. I think we forget that sometimes. You know, you can have the most incredible chef in the world serving you know exquisite dishes, but if sometimes if you've got wait staff with a scowl or something, sometimes it can just set the tone. It's, it's sometimes it's about hospitality more than service, I think is, is really what I'm trying to say. Um, and, it can, and it can all add up to an experience rather than just a meal. So I'm really glad you had a, you had a lovely one. Um, um, it is, for those uh, parents who will not need me to tell you, it is spring break, two weeks off school for the next couple of weeks. And we've heard on Business Breakfast, airports are going to be jam packaroonied. So many of you flying off and... Courtney, when you sent over your headlines, it really made me smile because this morning I went to the supermarket and bought all the snacks because <laughs> we're going to be on a plane tomorrow night. And I thought sometimes the best way of keep, keeping kids in a good mood is just to, well, yeah, throw some snacks in their direction. There used to be a time where I wouldn't leave the house with at least three packets of raisins strapped to my body at all times. So which leads me to ask you, what are the best snacks to take on a plane? What are some of your go-tos? So I think it's very personal. I'm very much, I think I actually kind of regress and I really prefer the small little bag. So I like a Cheez-It popcorn. I make my own trail mix, plenty of M&Ms in there. Um, Anything that's small and easily accessible. And of course, for your fellow traveler, doesn't smell. You know, this is not the time to have the tuna sando. (laughs) No, or indeed the big bag of fried chicken and you know just yeah. bring bring it out so being being considerate now we're in a whatsapp group together and a few days ago about a week ago now it was on fire with screenshots of an invitation a couple of headlines some quite vague information as we were asking is the uae about to get its first michelin star restaurant guide what do we know courtney what we know right now, and I'm not at liberty to say anything else because I don't know anything else, is that we're going to have an announcement on Tuesday morning at the Museum of the Future. I have one of those invitations. I believe the ceremony, as it were, press launch, whatever it is, starts at 10 a.m. I think all the great food journalists and a lot of people we know in the media will be attending. 
Uh, so we, we don't know exactly. I have, you know, I hope that the Michelin Guide comes here. I think we have a really excellent caliber restaurants and it'll drive traffic in a way that maybe globally we haven't had before. Mm-hmm. But I'm super excited. Whatever the announcement is, it's going to be good. I'm so intrigued and I'm really annoyed <laughs> I'm going to be away for it. When you say that, thinking about some of the caliber restaurants that you think deserve... And we don't know if the guide is coming. We don't know what the award system is going to be, if it's going to be a star guide or just a, you know, a, a kind of a city guide as such. But if you could award some stars, who do you think is deserving? I don't know how many stars I would specifically give, but of course, uh, my friends at Treston Studio, uh, who actually now have a new restaurant uh, in the old space where Treston Studio used to be called uh, Avatara. And I was there on Wednesday night. And for a restaurant that just opened, I don't know. I think they could, they, they're putting really? up some competition. Interesting. I, yeah. What's, what's it all yeah. about over there? So it is a vegetarian degustation or tasting menu. So don't, don't be alarmed, but it's 15 courses, all very small, all vegetarian, uh, even so much as staying away from like cheeses. So it's a, it's a very not dense experience. And I think for anybody who's like, Oh, that sounds like too much food. I've never done that before. This might be your perfect opportunity to go try. And what about price point? Do you, do you have to be all in for 15 courses? Because that sounds you, pretty expensive. You, you, it's, <laughs> the seating right now, I believe, is 368 dirhams for 15 courses, which really works out to like 25-ish dirhams a course. I mean, come on. And mm. it's beautiful food. Uh, and get in there you know, before maybe everybody else does. Or if you have somebody in your group who's always like, okay, I'm a vegetarian, where should we go? Now go for that person. Go somewhere that everybody gets to have uh, something they can enjoy. Can I ask you a, a, a kind of a personal and a professional question, Courtney? Because as I said, you're a food writer. Um, you share through social media. You share through Google. You, you, know, you get an awful lot of invitations. And there's only so many hours in the day and so many nights in the week. How do you decide which ones warrant your time and indeed the calorie intake? <laughs> Because you could be out every, every night. <laughs> and it's a very good question. I was actually speaking to Chef Gregoire about this last week, that it is almost where I go, and it's also then answering where I'm not going. Uh, so I have a personal rule that I've been better at sticking to once during the week, once on the weekend. So two meals a week is where I'm really trying to land. It, fo- it makes me focus on whose story I want to tell, uh, maybe chefs that, or groups that I believe in, and I, I really believe in that talent. Uh, so it is. there is no right answer for me. I have to look at kind of my brand, where I fit in, who's doing something new, who's doing something unique, or chefs that I ultimately respect. Obviously, like last week for my birthday, perfect. I, I couldn't have gotten any better to go to Oceano on my birthday and get to work and eat all at the same time. Tough gig, but I know you do work incredibly hard. (laughs) So where else have you been recently? Where else do you feel has captured your attention? I saw some caviar on your Instagram recently. Yes, I finally made it. I was way overdue to um, Cassia, uh, which is uh, Cassia Caviar, which is uh, in DIFC. It's a really unique space that um, I... This is Dubai. You always find something new, even me. They've got this amazing mezzanine level. They've got a caviar menu. Their signature dish, for those who are like, oh, again, I don't know about that product, it's a baked potato, jacket potato with caviar. <laughs> What's that to love? The high-low experience. Um, it's, all, it's all a high-end It's a high end experience. Amazing. But I would say, yeah, go and enjoy. Try something, try something different this weekend, maybe. Oh, my problem is... 
I get stuck in a rut and I get to tried and tested places and I just want to go back and have the same thing again and again. And I think it's a risk. You know, I feel like whether it's to do with your time being precious or money being tight, you know, we do have to look to people such as you to give us guidance, to do an edit of of what's available because... You know, I, I can't remember the last date night we had. You know, you want to make sure it's a bit of a hit. Have you been anywhere else that you think you could, you know, hand on heart say, you'll have a great night here? I think those three, I think I really would put it, I, I'm going to put all my reputation on Avatar because I do believe that even a plant-based menu um, is an important one. And I think that it's a uh, decision that was probably a lot of people, you know, we could go a lot of different directions or they could go a lot of directions different directions with that space. Mm-hmm. But I think that to say we're going to make it plant-based is a really bold one, and that's the one I want to support. So that is Avatara by, uh, by Tresson Studio, and, Tr- it's, in that, Tresson. and yes. it's over in, the, in their old space. Okay, thank you for that. We'd love to hear from you this afternoon. Where have you been recently, or where are you going this weekend that you're really looking forward to? Maybe you want to give a shout-out to a particular dish, a chef, get in touch. I'm going for pizza after the show with the kids. That is about as exotic as my life is this afternoon, but I couldn't be happier about it. Um, Here's a question for you. When you go out on a date night, speaking of date nights, do you share your food, Courtney? I do. Um, Here's a a full... full, um, I'm going to disclose something. I often will make my husband order something that I want a picture of or I want to try. So he is full Instagram husband. Like oh, He's like, okay, what, what am I ordering? Like he almost doesn't have input and this is the danger of being married to a food writer. <laughs> <laughs> but you're maybe not the best person to ask in that case because as you say, you're there with your kind of working house and you're going, listen, sunshine, that, look, that sounds photogenic. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get that yeah. and this sounds interesting. So you're going to get that. I'm married to someone who has got a real issue with sharing menus and sharing concepts. And when a waiter or waitress comes up and says, hi, um, are you aware of our concept? He goes, is the concept sharing? Is that because you can't get your act together in the kitchen? I'm like, Nick, you've got to, you've got, you've got to behave yourself. Nick, much like Joey Tribbiani, Nick Farmer doesn't share food. Um, so I've got to wheedle and, you know, do like puppy dog eyes to try and taste anything he's like we should have ordered it i know but it looks good and now i've got food envy we've been married a long time you and eric longer what about on first dates do you think there's any etiquette to do with sharing food so i think it says a lot and in this article that i was reading essentially one person offered but the other person did not (gasps) and i think that that's um that's even more telling that it's a two-way street so that if i offer Maybe the polite is, even if I said no, then then you would offer because, you know, that's just how society works. But maybe this is how we find the person we're supposed to be with. Are you a sharer or are you not? (laughs) Divorce for the farmers if this is what we're going on. I mean, if I I offer to share, it's only because I want them to offer to share back to me. It's not not an altruistic act unless I'm like, you will love it. Mostly it's because I want to try theirs. Um, Let us know, are you a sharer? Or a non-sharer. And I thought this was fascinating. Fast Company reporting on how, how scientists have grown spinach in the desert by harvesting water out of thin air. At Expo, and actually even in spinnies, they have water created from thin air. What a time to be alive. What do we know about some of the technologies that probably are going on under our nose here in Dubai that uh, could maybe learn about more in the future? It was for our neighbours actually over in Saudi. Um, and so... We know, of course, living in the Emirates, 
there's humidity. It's not a, like, yes, it's a desert, but we've got tons of water in the air. So even during the day, it might be 40%, but at night it can escalate to 80%. So essentially there's a solar panel which um, has hydrogen material which can absorb the vapor, and then it's kind of misting it out. And they tried spinach as a, as a product to grow. It did just fine. Actually, it did great. They were like, maybe not every... Some, some products are going to need a lot of water, but some produce doesn't need a lot of water. And I'm really curious to see where this kind of study goes. Well, I'm sure lots of farmers doing all sorts of amazing things behind the scenes here in Dubai. Mark's been in touch in capital letters, I should point out, saying, never, never, ever share food. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> should have married Nick Farmer. Ah, you could have sat, <laughs> sat together in non-sharing harmony. Um, I mean, the thing is, I say this as a mum of kids. Sharing isn't fun. It's very hard to explain to children, you know, kind hands you need to share. If I'd honestly, if I'd bought, you know, a new phone or some makeup or something that I'd been looking forward to getting and someone said you have to share it, I wouldn't be delighted about that concept either. So trying to communicate to children that you need to share is a bit of a weird one. But yes, I would like a couple of your chips. Um, So Courtney Brandt, where are you going this weekend? What's on the plan? I am actually, I'm kind of hunkering down and watching Bridgerton. Please (gasps) do not judge me. Um, Oh my gosh, I'd forgotten. It's on now. Yes download it for the plane um, but I'm looking forward next week is, is big I'm going to be um, Jose uh, Aviles who I met uh, when I was recently in Lisbon he is going to be in town next week at Tashka over at the Mandarin Oriental okay. uh, so I'm going to see him early next week so it's fine that I'm kind of skipping this weekend uh, then there's the Michelin Guide uh, I might be going to tea next week at SLS. I need to kind of finalize my own calendar, to be very honest. <laughs> well, report back, and you can be found on Instagram so people can follow your adventures and recommendations. It is Courtney Brand. Um, wishing you a wonderful week ahead. Get all, get the corsets out, you know, get all uh, gussied up and have some high tea with the Bridgerton gang. I completely forgot about that. It's been available since 11 o'clock this morning. I could have... Oh. I've been here instead. What's been going on? No, Courtney, it's an absolute pleasure as ever. We'll catch up when I'm back from my travels and uh, always love to hear about what you've been up to and some of your recommendations too. Have a fab weekend. Cheers. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai I 103.8.